Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Freedom uh, here on Lions of Liberty. And before we get into today's show, I want to tell you guys about I Trust Capital. It's the number one crypto IRA platform in the United States. Um, you can self-trade cryptocurrency, physical gold and silver right in your retirement account. Now you get the the tax advantages of a traditional IRA. You get them while trading crypto and physical gold and silver. Um, as an iTrust client, um, you're going to be able to log into your account and self-trade 24-7. Transactions are executed in real time and settle in seconds. They offer more than 25 crypto assets and they're growing. Um, they have transparent pricing. They have the lowest and most transparent costs in the industry by far. And they post the freeze right up front so you can see them. iTrust is secure. They use Coinbase custody and Curve to secure uh, your assets. iTrust also has over 1,500 overwhelmingly positive reviews on Trustpilot. Now, here's the kicker, guys. Special offer here. All you got to do is visit itrust.capital slash lions and sign up today, open an account, move money from an existing 401k, whatever you got to do, and you're going to get $100 of Bitcoin when you fund your account. Go to itrust.capital slash lions to sign up today. Also, if that wasn't good enough, another reason to sign up, guys, I trust got rid of monthly fees. We can announce that this week. No more monthly fees. $100 in Bitcoin. Move your money today. Do it now. We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, what's up, everybody? John Oderman, your host, uh, Finding Freedom here, and got a little bit of a different episode for you today. Um, I'm actually going to be playing a part, a portion of an interview um, that I was on a couple weeks ago on the In Liberty and Health uh, podcast with uh, Kyle Matovsik. Hopefully I'm saying your name right, Kyle. I'm sorry, buddy, if I'm getting that wrong. But um, I really enjoyed the conversation I had with Kyle, the back and forth and I think it really tells a story about, or really, you know, doesn't doesn't tell the story. It uh, shows you it. Uh, it's apparent um, where I am today on a lot of different things regarding the liberty movement, um, how sh- how we should be talking to people, and where we should be dedicating our time as people who want to influence and persuade um, others. So. We're going to get to that in about 10 to 15 minutes. I'll play, I'll play that portion. That, that'll be the end of the show after that. But before we do that, I wanted to get into some things that are trending in the news, uh, just some things that are weighing on my mind. And uh, I know I'm not alone in a lot of these uh, situations uh, that are occurring, that are on the, the near-term horizon here. Uh, with us approaching Thanksgiving. 
And, you know, one thing I did, I, I wanted to talk about first. I almost forgot. I actually did forget to put this in my notes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up here. I sent a tweet out the other day. And as I bring this up, I'll just kind of give some background on my on my thought process. But um, so I've noticed in you know the past several weeks, months that there's been a lot of hypocrisy in the libertarian movement, and the hypocrisy has to do with vaccine mandates. And I don't think libertarians or people who are you know, supposedly against these mandates. Um, The people who have been vaccinated um, and are speaking out against the mandates, I don't think they fully understand and grasp um, why they are missing the mark, um, why what they're doing could be, and I think is, uh, could be perceived as being, um, you know, really uh, the move of a a charlatan, uh, to put it bluntly. Um, but to put it mildly, a little hypocritical. And, you know, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone directly here. I think this is a learning experience for people. This is something we've never been through before. I mean, I have, I have good friends who are vaccinated, uh, good friends who are unvaccinated. People have, have, people have their reasons. I, I've talked about before, I'm unvaccinated. And I have my my reasons for that. Um, if you listen to my interview several uh, weeks ago or a few weeks ago with uh, Cyprian, aka Vin Armani, um, we talked about um, we got into into it a little bit with that the reasons you know the reasons really not to get vaccinated from a spiritual standpoint. And the more this goes on, the more that becomes um, the reason. Re- that is the reason. Become the reason. That is the reason. It's become apparent to me um, that that is the reason why um, I'm not going to get vaccinated. And you know, there's other things on the peripheral uh, that inform my decision at the very beginning, the onset of this, uh, to not get the vaccine. But um, those have kind of been uh, been pushed away and blinded by the light um, that that has really exposed the vaccines for what they are, which is. Uh, it's compliance. The vaccines are compliance. Now, to get back to my tweet and to tie this all together here. So I tweeted out, this was on November 16th. So you're hearing this on the 18th, probably. Um, here's what I said. Those of you who have been vaxxed, but claim to be against the mandates, the only way to truly be against them is to not participate. So no special vax privileges. Forget you ever got vaxxed and live life that way. Otherwise, you're a hypocrite. Now, currently my Twitter account is is set to set to private. Um, there's reasons for that that I will not go into here. Um, I don't always plan on being set to private. I wasn't before this, but some things going on that reasons. Okay, we'll just leave it at that. So for that reason, I can't retweet it. Uh, my good friend and colleague here at Lions of Liberty, Mark Clare, he tweeted it out, and he got some uh, some reactions on his uh, his retweet, some pushback. Really, what people were pushing back on, uh, one guy was saying, you know, this is libertarian purity. This is what pushes people away from the message. The guy obviously did not read the tweet. Um, at least he didn't, uh, you know, <laughs> doesn't have good reading comprehension. 
Um, that's that's for sure. And you know, other people, another person coming back saying, you know, well, what happened with me is, uh, you know, my wife is an NPC and she's she's for the vaccines, and you know, the guy's basically saying he would lose his family um, if he didn't get vaccinated, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So the whole the whole point of this thing here. It's not to say do not get vaccinated. I understand there's reasons why people need to get vaccinated. Health reasons, things of that nature, whatever. It's your decision. You do what you got to do. But I will say this. If you're going to get vaccinated, be it for a health decision, be it to go to a concert, be it to keep your job, okay? Be very, very honest about that. Be upfront. Say it too much. Say it often. Be very public that you are vaccinated and you are using the system, this uh, this caste system that has been created, a public-private caste system, which is excluding people who have not been vaccinated. Be very, very honest that you are using the system to help yourself, to better yourself. And that that's really, I mean, that's the, that's the point. I know a lot of people who have made immense sacrifices, who've lost their jobs, who've left the country, who've given up the life they had over the principle of not complying, of not opting in to this biomedical compliance model. That's exactly what this is. And in my conversations with uh, with Vin a couple of weeks ago, you know, he rightly I think pointed out that you know, this vaccine, this current vaccine, the mRNA vaccines, there are so many issues with them and they're so shitty, not working. You can still transmit. Even Bill Gates is coming out saying, you know, you can still transmit the virus with the vaccine. Uh, so that's, I mean, these vaccines are, are horrible. I mean, they're not good. They do almost nothing. You can transmit the virus. Um, you can obviously get the virus if you're vaccinated. You can get sick. You can die. Um, all of these things can happen with the vaccine. Um on top of that, healthy people, young, healthy, healthy people, especially young, healthy males, especially ones who are athletes and who exercise a lot, soccer players, things of that nature, are at incredibly higher risks to a vaccine injury, uh, myocarditis or pericarditis, um, than, than the COVID risk. It's not even really close. So with, with, with all of that said, these vaccines probably you know, th- this is sort of like a test run. That's what we talked about, Vin talked about, and I agree with him. This is probably a test run. And what we're going to see happen is a year, two years, five years. I don't know. I think probably closer to a year or two years. Um, we will see the same compliance model, the same vaccine passport system, public, private, expanding more so into private, into the Walmarts and the uh, the Targets and the things of that nature. It's going to be a safe vaccine. It's going to be safe. It's going to be no issues with it. It's going to be about compliance. It's going to be about getting um, you into that system, into that biomedical system. It's going to be about getting you to opt into the system. So what people don't understand is they are taking the vaccine at this point in time. And 
they think they can have it both ways. They think they can get vaccinated and then turn around and say, hey, but I'm not in favor of you forcing anyone else to get vaccinated. You don't have credibility. You can't go out to the bar, go to a concert, go on a trip um, with your vaccine um, when someone else who's not vaccinated can do the same and then go ahead and say, well, you know what? I don't think that there should be mandates, but I'm just going to go into this uh, you know, special vaccinated club over here. And uh, you know, I'm going to get a back massage, get a beer, have a good time. But this is terrible. This whole system is just terrible. It's a terrible system. Um, I'm going to go to a concert and see my favorite uh, musician perform. And uh, you know, the vaccinated can't come in or the unvaccinated can't come in. Um, but this is a horrible system. I'm just going to go enjoy this stuff over here. But it's a terrible system. Just terrible system. What's happening? It's not going to work, guys. It's not going to fucking work. Okay? So if you're vaccinated and you want to speak out against mandates, and there are high-profile libertarians. I'm not going to name any names. Um, people on Fox News. Maybe on Kennedy. Uh, not Dave Smith. Not Shane Hazel who uh, are vaccinated, from what I can tell, because they've been in the studio, and uh, they're speaking out against mandates. Now, first of all, you, you lose credibility that way. you got to be upfront. Now, who knows? Health issues, things of that nature. Of course, people get vaccinated for different reasons. I get that. But you got to be explicit about what's going on. And you know what? Maybe you should take a step back and say, guess what? If my unvaccinated brothers and sisters cannot come into this studio, then I'm not coming in your freaking studio. You can shove that studio right up your asshole. Okay? Interesting times, my friends. Okay, let's turn the page to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, a great time. And I'm already speaking for almost longer than I wanted to. Let me get a quick drink here. I did have several more things I wanted to talk about. Anyway, I always think like I do a solo show and it's going to be hard to have stuff to talk about. And then an hour later, shit, what happened? So I do want to leave time for that interview at the end with Kyle because I want to promote his show and I really enjoyed um, speaking with him. So we will get to that. But before we do that, Thanksgiving, guys. So how many of you are dealing with a situation going home for the holidays, for Thanksgiving, or maybe for Christmas, something on the near-term horizon, where you are very, very worried about what's going to happen. What's it going to be like? Maybe you're unvaccinated. You know, Maybe you don't know what the conversations are going to be like. Maybe you don't know if you'll be allowed to go to Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe your family will single you out and make you get a test. Maybe your whole family will want to get COVID tested before you, you can gather as a family. Maybe your family's going to want everyone to wear a mask around the dinner table and pull it up and down between bites of turkey and stuffing. So my advice to you and the advice that I've given myself, and I've run into some, going to be running into some similar situations like that over the holidays. I will never out anyone um, in my life for, for any reason. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. So the advice that I've kind of formulated on my own and, and with input from uh, from some close friends of mine is that I think, number one, the family that you are closest with, even if there's disagreements on the table with things politically, COVID, uh, you know, 
Joe Biden, whatever. Maybe they don't like your Let's Go Brandon t-shirt you're wearing at the Thanksgiving table. I don't know. I think honesty is very, very important. And I don't mean in a um, aggressive way, in a shouting way. Um, understanding, first of all, what you believe in and why you believe in it. And being able to say that succinctly, calmly, to your your family, to your friends that, that you're going to be meeting with. And they might be hysterical about some of your beliefs, about some of the things you're saying. You cannot become hysterical. You have to, you have to stay calm. You have to maintain your cool. Um, if you need to, walk away. If you need to, I would really... I highly recommend not, you know, staying out from the table and leaving, but it's much better to stand out from the table and leave, remove yourself. Uh, I, I guess I would say I would highly recommend leaving the, the get together, the party altogether, but getting out from the table, you know, that's, that's a whole different thing. That's, that's a good thing to do, but try to avoid having to leave, leave the gathering because that, that's not a good look, but try to stay calm. And that's very, very hard to do because things are at a level of uh, being politically charged that it's it's unprecedented. And what kind of amplifies it is the fact that people have forgotten how to talk to each other in person. People are so used to um, the online back and forth, and I'm guilty of this as well on Twitter. And I, I've kind of noticed recently in myself, like I had something happen recently with you know the upcoming holidays, you know, got a message about something that was going to be happening. And I just like, I'd, I noticed myself just like fully, like really, really upset. And I'm like, why, why is, why is this making me so like angry? Like, why am I all, I'm just, this is crazy. How like it's ruining my day, it literally ruined my entire day. And th that can't happen. So that's happening to you. Like it was happening to me. You need to find a way to deal with that. You need to find a way to keep an even keel and you need to find Outlet. You need to exercise. You need to uh, meditate, um, pray, to do things like that. Because um, in the situation that we are in, and we will be in, for those of us that choose to oppose this compliance, biomedical, um, pharmaceutical, state uh, cartel, um, we're going to need to be calm and make uh, reasonable uh, decisions quickly but not irrationally and emotionally charged. So practice that. Practice staying calm this holiday season. What else, you know, I mean, what else did I want to talk about? I did want to talk about the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, and I actually held off on recording this until today. I'm recording this Wednesday night right before we do our boring, uh, boring podcast with Brian, Rico, and Howie. Um, because I was hoping that the trial that there'd be a verdict, but there's not a verdict, which is which is okay. I mean, I think I think really the fact that there's not a verdict is probably a good sign for Cal Rittenhouse. Um, you know, I think it, after the first day we were hearing that it was down to two jurors that were holding out, um, declaring him, you know, um, innocent or, or not guilty, I should say. Um, of these charges, of these murder charges. And the the reason, allegedly, that they were holding out because they were afraid for their life. 
So I predicted that um, many times that th- this is that's really the one thing that could burn him. Um, you never know what's going to happen with the jury, and I didn't know how many people it would be. I didn't know if it would be half the jury or just a hand, or you know, just a, a couple. And probably with it just being a couple, um, I think they can talk them off the ledge and hopefully guarantee, you know, f- guarantee some protection for these jurors because that's the thing in today's world, like things will get out. People are going to find out who these jurors are and it's, it's just a shitty situation to be in, but it comes down to, um, are you going to put your own, um, you know, that, that thought of, you know, not being able to keep yourself safe, which I think, you know, all in all, these jurors, they might have to make some changes to their life, some sacrifices, which is unfortunate. You might have to up, uproot your life, move your family to protect your family. That's unfortunate. I get it. Very unfortunate for them. I wouldn't want to be in that position. I wouldn't want anyone to be in that position. But I also wouldn't want an innocent kid, Cal Rittenhouse, to go to to go to prison um, for defending himself because a couple jurors didn't want to feel uncomfortable and and felt threatened by Antifa and uh, and whatnot. So that's. I mean, I think ultimately he. You know, it'll be a not guilty verdict, I think. I could be wrong. Who the heck knows uh, in this day and age? But uh, the one thing I did want to talk about with uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, though, it seems like there's like across the board um, from, you know, I was listening to to Joe Rogan, who was on, Joe Rogan was on Tim Pool and Alex Jones, uh, Michael Malice, uh, Blair White. Uh, the, uh, the guys, I uh, forget his name. Um, he was a, a reporter on the ground in Kennesaw. He testified, uh, during the trial. I think Rodriguez maybe is his name, but anyway, so crazy, uh, podcast, which I'm about halfway through. I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, but Joe Rogan, he's, he's, which everyone, I know a lot of people who talk about it this way. They say, you know, he's defending himself, but he shouldn't have been there. You know, why did his parents let him go there? He shouldn't have been there. Why'd they give him a gun? And, you know, he's only 17 years old. And that was my, like, initial reaction when this first, when this thing happened. And we, I saw the video. I'm like, well, he's clearly defending himself. But, you know, why is he there? Why is the kid there? But as you, like, you learn about the case and you learn that really that's his hometown and his father had a business there and his friends are there and he was de- he was defending businesses there. Um, you, I mean, you start to understand. And it's like, it's at 17, I think what it is, like, people look at themselves at 17 and... At 17, could I see myself in that position being comfortable with a firearm defending businesses? No, absolutely not. I, I could not. I, I was not in, the, in that position. Um, but that doesn't mean that another 17-year-old couldn't be in that position and at that mental level to be able to handle that. So I feel like we, you know, we attach, you know, it's just blanket statement that, oh, he's 17. He shouldn't be there defending businesses. I don't think all 17-year-olds are, are created equally. I mean, there's plenty of 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds you wouldn't want there defending businesses with, with a, uh, you know, wielding a firearm. So it's, I think that's kind of a bullshit argument. And I, I mean, I push back on it a little bit. I'm pushing back on it now. So I, I don't think that that matters. You know, his parents or his, they they know him well and they trusted him to to give him a gun. So at the end of the day, as someone who believes in freedom, I think the parents should be allowed to make that decision. Now, would I make that same decision for my daughter when she's 17? No, but that doesn't mean they can't make that decision. And that doesn't mean that he wasn't equipped uh, to uh, defend himself, which obviously he was because he did defend himself. So 
just wanted to get that point in there. And I don't know. I was going to talk more about, you know, how vaccines don't work and there's all kinds of evidence out there. And, uh, you know, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to really get into that right now. Um, you know, one more thing I will say, which has been super, super annoying to me. Uh, you keep seeing these blue check marks <clears throat> on Twitter and you see it on CNN, MSNBC too, saying that, well, you know, that uh, it's actually um, inflation is not harming uh, the poor. It's actually the, it's the, uh, you know, the rich that are very concerned with inflation. Um, the poor, um, they're doing fine. They're, they're okay with the inflation. Um, it's these people, their businesses aren't doing well. How freaking stupid do you have to be to think that is at all the case? Anyone, and I know my audience knows this. I know, you know, Austrian economists, free marketers understand uh, how commodity money works. And when you expand a money supply, when you monetize debt, when you print money, the people who get that money first, your investment bankers, uh, your, your businessmen, your Elon Musks, those who are connected to the government, getting uh, getting grants and loans and things of that nature. Those who get their fingers on the money first, they're the ones that love inflation. The central bankers, those are the ones who love inflation. They buy up the assets. They control uh, the flow of the money and they reap the rewards. They make their acquisitions when the money has the most value. Because the money is money is always losing its value as the monetary supply expands. It is totally absurd. And people should be laughed at who say that inflation doesn't hurt the poor. Inflation, progressive policies like this are the worst thing for the poor. It's, it's, this is criminal. This is worse than straight up taxation. Inflation is worse than taxation. And taxation is death. And you know taxation is death because if you visit... Lionsofliberty.store, you can find our taxation, taxation is death mug, our taxation is death t-shirts. So please go to lionsofliberty.store and check that out. If you join the pride, you actually get a discount um, at our store. And along, if you join at a certain level, you actually get a free t-shirt uh, with your pride membership. So check that out today and you can join the pride on, uh, on Patreon or on locals, either or patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. And Locals is, I'm still learning this URL, Locals is lionsofliberty.locals.com. So I don't really know how to transition into this interview that I'm going to put on. So I'm just going to say this was my interview on In Liberty and Health with Cal Matoviks. Matoviks? I cannot say words with syllables with a V and a C next to it, next to each other. I'm sorry, Kyle. I'm an idiot. Um, great guy. Had an awesome time talking to him. Another local uh, Pennsylvanian, local to uh, the Pittsburgh area. So look forward to meeting Kyle in person. And uh, here we go. On to the interview. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. 
I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. What's up, everybody? This is In Liberty and Health, back for another episode. I got John Odermatt here from Lines of Liberty, Finding Freedom, formerly uh, Felony Friday, Finding Felonies, something like that, right? <laughs> yeah, let's just combine the two together, Finding Felonies. That's that's kind of how the show started, ironically. But, <laughs> but yeah, but now it's called uh, now it's called Finding Freedom. Published every every Thursday on the uh, Lines of Liberty podcast. You can find it there. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I was uh, listening to some of your interviews today and, um, you know, kind of digging around, um, kind of give a brief history of what got you kind of into libertarianism. I, you know, I, I heard a little kind of tidbits here and there, but I haven't heard the full story. Yeah. Well, I, the, I guess the full story, um, I guess I've kind of evolved on like my thinking on really how I became a libertarian kind of recently, even kind of uh-huh. looking back in hindsight, like I think people, most people who become libertarians or, you know, at least, uh, you know, are open to the ideas of liberty. I think you're just kind of born that way almost, or it could be your, your upbringing or, you know, different things in, in your culture growing up. Um, I think it's really hard to convert someone. It does happen though. Cause I've met people who are like, you know, diehard socialists and then become libertarians. So I was always, you know, I, I was, I was raised in a sort of a, an independent household in the way that, I mean, politically speaking in that my, my dad was more Republican. My mom was more kind of independent minding, looking, looking at candidates and uh, like, like growing up um, when Ross Perot ran, I was in like what third or fourth grade, something like that. And uh, I volunteered to be the uh, person who like spoke for him in our class election. So I was always open to like looking outside the two parties, looking for, you know, different solutions. But uh, in high school and college, I went down, you know, hardcore neocon path. And I was a big George, uh, George W. Bush supporter. And I remember arguing with friends in college about, you know, how we're going to spread democracy in the Middle East and how, how important this is. <laughs> and it's like, looking back on that now, I'm like, oh, my God, what the, it's so, so embarrassing. Yeah. But I, th- I think, th- like, when things changed, it, it, it obviously comes back to Ron Paul. I mean, for, for everybody, it seems to be that way. Yeah. But uh, it happened through my friend Mark Clare, who, you know, a lot of you know, at Lions of Liberty, hosts our Monday show. And Mark actually learned about Ron Paul from, one of our other friends at Lions of Liberty, Howie Snowden, who was a congressional page. And Howie wasn't a page for Ron Paul, but he'd met him when he was working for another uh, congressman and uh, just started reading his, like, uh, you know, Texas Straight Talk that would publish every week. And then Mark started reading that. And uh, I didn't learn about it from Mark. And so I moved out to California after I graduated college. And I'm living out there. I was living in the Inland Empire area, which is in uh, Riverside, Riverside, Colton, California. It's about an hour or so east of Los Angeles. And and Mark 
Mark and Brian were down in LA. So I would go down there some weekends. I had a friend out in Palm Springs. I would go out there. It was a fun time, but uh, I really didn't save any money or I was, I was, I was pretty <laughs> poor at that time in my life. But anyway, so what sticks out of my mind, um, one night Mark and I, um, I met him at this dive bar not far from where I lived. I forget why we were at this dive bar. And it was too th- early in the uh, you know run up to the 2008 um, election. So this is even like before really the primary season even kicked off. And I think Ron Paul had, had announced pretty, pretty recently around that time. And Mark starts talking about this congressman from Texas who he's anti-war and Mark's telling about the federal reserve and, and how, uh, you know, they're destroying the money and how inflation is really just, you know, this caused by the federal reserve pump more money in the system. And I'm like, this federal reserve stuff makes a lot of sense, but a Republican who's anti-war, like, what, what are you even talking about? Like, <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? So like from there, that just kind of, like I got to figure out like what this guy, who is this Ron Paul guy? What are these ideas? I've never heard this stuff before coming from, I identified as Republican. So coming from the Republican side. So I just started digging, man. And uh, I got re- really into uh, watching Ron Paul YouTube videos. And that just took me down the path. And before, you know, before I knew it, I was reading, uh, I used to every day, first thing in the morning, I would read lourockwell.com. Um <laughs> Because that was like, like there weren't libertarian podcasts then. Yeah. So it was like lourockwell.com. And then eventually the Daily Paul came along, which is really cool, like forum, where once we did eventually start our podcast, like that's where we got a lot of our um, listeners from. And when we had our blog, a lot of our readers would be directed there from the Daily Paul, which was a, uh, it, it was like the the beginnings of, the, uh, of this new uh, liberty movement, which has kind of just continued to grow and grow. But yeah, man, it all it all goes back to Ron Paul. And I remember like the time that I bought all in was that famous Ron Paul really really Giuliani moment um when Ron Paul you know talks about blowback. And uh, you know, that just I, I was I remember talking to my family about it like after it, and they're like, Well, Rudy Giuliani really showed Ron Paul what's what. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, did, <laughs> did you watch that debate? Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's crazy looking back on stuff like that. Yeah, for real. Um you know, I kind of came into the libertarian move or movement a little bit later. Um, I'm only 27 now as of last weekend, and um, I was only able to vote in 2016. So I kind of knew about libertarianism like prior to that, just more from, you know, different YouTube videos mm-hmm. and different people kind of in the movement that weren't quite, you know, in, in the political system. And uh, just probably within this last year, I finally heard about that Ron Paul, Rudy Giuliani moment. And everyone talked about Ron Paul and I'm like, okay, he's probably really good. And then like watching that and kind of watching the debates and seeing all that. Now I understand it. Like, you know, that was such a monumental moment considering the time, you know, everyone's riled up for war even seven or eight years later after a nine 11 and to have somebody on a Republican stage, no less kind of lay it out perfectly clearly um, you know, that took guts. And I think that really inspired mm-hmm. a lot of people. And that's what, you know, much like you brought many, many people into the Liberty movement kind of inspired them to keep going down the path. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, 
That's a great way to put it. It took guts. And Ron Paul had several moments like that Mm -hmm. on stage. I remember, I think it was 2012. He was uh, a GOP debate in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, the hosts would always like, or the, the moderators who are supposed to be independent would always like set him up with like gotcha questions. They'd be like, "Oh, so uh, Dr. Paul, you're in favor of legalizing uh, marijuana and heroin? Do you want people doing heroin?" And uh, Ron Paul mm-hmm. just played up, played it off, and he's like, "If if heroin was legalized tomorrow." How many in the crowd here would start doing it? Are you worried that you start doing heroin tomorrow? It's, I mean, it's just like to have to, the guts and the balls to just mm-hmm. speak plainly like that. Um, it, it was awesome to see. And in, in that time, like it's hard to like, it feels like freaking decades ago, which it, I mean, it, it is really, you know, it's more than 10 years ago since his first run. But like this, the climate has changed so much with regards to <clears throat> the view on marijuana. Like, I remember when I first told mm-hmm. my parents that I was a libertarian, a small L Republican libertarian and, uh, you know, in favor of you know legalizing drugs. They're like, oh, my God, legal- legalizing marijuana. I can't believe that. <laughs> but like now, like it's even like even my parents have come around on that. Like they would be in favor of yeah. legalizing you know marijuana. So it's like nuts how much that landscape just in that like one aspect has changed. Also, with wars, I think people have really woken up to the. Uh, you know, destruction of the U.S. war machine. And I think mm-hmm. we've seen that, you know, with Afghanistan and, and the troops finally coming home from there. Right. And I, I think that's a lot of the luster actually throughout the last 20 years, because pretty much all the presidents campaign on being anti-war. Unfortunately, in effect, they usually never are. And it, it's very, very shocking to me that Joe Biden, of all people, a walking fucking corpse, is the one to finally do it. Um you know, and this I kind of rag on Trump a lot because I, I work with all boomer cons and this is all I hear is that Trump was the greatest man since sliced bread. And, you know, he was Jesus incarnate and, you know, he was anti-war. I've seen people literally say that there were no wars under Trump's presidency, which that's that's neither here nor there. But <laughs> that's, well, that's the media. I mean, that's the media's fault, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> which I mean, that's that's what they do. I mean, they're. It's propaganda. But yeah, most people I mean, not even blame people to think that. I mean, you can point them to, uh, you know, sources, antiwar.com that'll tell them all about, you know, the, just the horrible situation in in Yemen. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's by design. Yeah. Well, and, you know, usually presidents are being their most presidential when they're destroying other countries, destroying people's Mm -hmm. livelihoods, um, you know, stuff like that, that doesn't affect us immediately, but in the long term with the police state and, um, you know, the military industrial complex and the stealing of our purchasing power that we see through all these things. Um, that's how it eventually comes back to affect us. So I guess that kind of leads to another point. Uh, let's kind of briefly touch on what inspired you to start um, Felony Friday. And I know you kind of pivoted over to finding freedom to kind of broaden your horizon there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, coming from a conservative household, as you said, you know, that's kind of a strange thing because most conservative people, they're not very concerned about the police state. Um, little side note, I, it always kind of surprised me that conservatives were for the death penalty because you would think people who are supposed to be for limited government wouldn't want government to arbitrarily decide whether or not people mm-hmm. live or die. Um, it, it just it's weird to me that conservatives would kind of bow on that or give that one away. But yeah, um, being that you come from a right wing leaning household, mm-hmm. what inspired you to go, you know, look more into the criminal justice system? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's really two parts, but, but first I will say it is always surprising to me that 
conservatives are in favor of, of the death penalty also mm. because you know many are christians and it's i mean the death penalty is is not is not christian people will point to stuff in the old testament but mm. uh there's nothing christian about about you know putting someone to death for a for a crime so and i've done some podcasts on that in the past some some pretty good ones but like my my personal story yes i did grow up in you know suburbia uh, we used to call I, I grew up in a an area, a town called Mount Lebanon, um, just south of Pittsburgh. And we used to call it the the bubble, like, because it was just like, you know, your typical suburban bubble, mm-hmm. like, really, you know, didn't have enough, you know, violent crimes happening. Or, you know, of course, there'd be like your you know, little high school, you know, drug things that would happen, things like that happen at, at any high school. But for the most part, pretty insulated from Trish uh, had heroin or purse or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But for the most part, and, and yeah, and she would get away or, you know, they'll get away with it pretty much. Like, yeah. But th- meanwhile, that happened like down the road in a, uh, you know, more of an urban area, you'd be locking kids away for, for years for stuff like that. But that, which that, I'll, I'll get to that later, uh, that, that part of my story. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's my upbringing. I go to Penn state and, uh, from there I go to, uh, to Georgia. I'm working for a while. Same company moves me out to uh, California. I'm working in a very, uh, industrial environment back in that time. Um, I was working for a company that, that manufactured steel framing, and uh, I was working like I was in like their management training program or whatever. Basically, it was just, you know, a cheap way to get supervisors and stuff like that. So I was working like the, the night shift and, and things like that. Um, but I got to meet a lot of, you know, blue collar people. And uh, like I was very surprised to learn like one of the jobs that they had me do um, kind of like on the side from being a supervisor out on the floor was like go through resumes and, uh, you know, help with the hiring process, learning, learning that. And they didn't give me much guidance. I guess they figured I learned something in college about that, which I didn't. And uh, they were just, you know, look at these resumes, you know, look at their background and, uh, and pick the good ones. That was ba- basically the uh, direction that I got. So I'm going through resumes and I'm seeing, um, okay, uh, felony, uh, pot possession, uh, selling, uh, put that one in the discard pile, misdemeanor, discard pile, the felony, discard pile. And it turned at the end, at the end of it, like 70% of these resumes are in the discard pile because the piece of people had a criminal background. So I bring this, this stack of resumes up that I thought was good and the plant managers, you know, looking through them and he's like, this is weird. None of these resumes, no one has any, you know, prior criminal history. It's really strange. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I got rid of those ones. I took those ones out. And he's like, John, like half of the people out there on our floor working right now, you know, have a criminal history. I'm like, oh shit, I did not did not know that. So that was like the biggest wake-up call. And then from there, like over time working out there for for a couple of years and just getting to know people. Um, who'd, who'd been to, you know, been to prison, who'd had, you know, had, you know, been convicted of these you know, victimless drug crimes, learning the stories, you know, just kind of understand that they're people just, just like, uh, just like you or I, I mean, maybe they made a mistake depending on how you look at it. You know, a lot of these laws out there shouldn't even be there. Um, but uh, regardless, they, you know, put themselves in a situation and, and they dealt with the, uh, you know, the, the repercussions from it. And they're trying to trying to do better. So that was a big eye-opening experience. Fast forward, I moved back to Pittsburgh. Um, I meet my meet my now wife, and you know we're dating and all that stuff. And uh, when we were, I guess we were engaged at this point in time. 
her her brother, my now brother-in-law, um, was in uh, in college, and he got tied up in this. He wasn't even selling pot, but he got tied up in this uh, undercover buy thing where this guy who he thought was his friend, probably he was set up by the actual dealer in the area to get his charges reduced. Um, this is escalating by. So uh, my brother, my brother-in-law thinks that he is just helping a friend out or a friend of a friend by getting in some, uh, some pot. And it's like seven or eight undercover buys in escalating quantity. And uh, they, they raid, you know, raid these, a bunch of these uh, apartments the only one they didn't find any drug paraphernalia or drugs in was was my brother-in-law's. Everyone else they did. And I don't know how this happened. My brother-in-law probably had a bad lawyer, which it, it, it sucks, but that's what it normally comes down to. He ends up getting the harshest sentence. He had to go. He did, I think, over a year in jail. And we had a felony from it. And then he did time in a halfway house. And I really got to see the system from that side in that unless you have, when you're in that situation, unless you have a supportive family, friends, people who can, uh, you know, get you a ride to a job and, and things like that, help you, help you find a job, you know, family, friends and things like that. When people do get out, help you get back on your feet. That's, that's recidivism. That's like 90% of recidivism. People that don't have any support which is most people who end up going to prison and it's just a cycle. So after that happened, that really set me down that path to figure out and start wanting to expose really what was going on. So it started with just uh, when we had our blog at linesofliberty.com, just r- every Friday I would write about, you know, a ridiculous case, you know, something crazy that, that was happening in the criminal justice system. And then Mark's, Mark started the podcast first and we started seeing, wait a minute, we're getting like thousands of people to listen to these podcasts, but only like a couple hundred people are reading our blog. Why don't we just all do podcasts? So I started with uh, with Felony Friday uh, a couple of years after Mark, and then Brian started with Electric Liberty Land a couple of years after me. And uh, when I started, honestly, like people like stress about podcasts, like I want to start a podcast, but I don't know what I want it to be about or who I'm going to have on. I started with no idea what I was doing. I was like, I am just going to talk about crazy felonies. And somehow I ended up stumbling across a couple of guests, like a, uh, someone who worked in the, in the prison system. And then they introduced me to someone else. And then I met you know, somebody who was uh, advocating for clemency for people who were, who were in prison. And it just kind of snowballed. And I started meeting all these people with these incredible stories. And, then, yeah, and now it's turned into finding freedom. So that's, <laughs> it's been a wild time. Right. Well, I kind of wanted your opinion on something because this is an area that I think probably a lot of libertarians, they all agree that the prison industrial complex, if we want to call it that, is a very, very bad thing. Um, But, and this isn't to corner you into saying anything that would be controversial necessarily, but what do you Mm -hmm. think of the term, (laughs) what do you think of the term institutional racism? And what does that mean to you? You of all people, I think would be more educated on this than kind of the average libertarian. And I think a lot of people kind of dust it under the rug and I have mixed feelings and I don't think I know enough to say whether I necessarily agree with it or not, or think that it's a thing. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely, 
definitely a thing. I mean, th- mm-hmm. there definitely is a racist element built into the criminal justice system just based on the way that the laws are structures with structure with mandatory minimums mm-hmm. and the uh you know the difference between sentencing for you know which now has been changed which i think it's also been changed retro retroactively now um between crack cocaine and uh and cocaine powder so things like that like they were they they were it was obvious that they were targeted um they, they were targeting minorities with it and e- even when you look back like to um, just the the advent of the 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 war on drugs with uh, Harry Anslinger, and uh, he was he was a huge racist. So it, it was it was rooted in in racism, and they were tr- and they, and they made like when they started criminalizing marijuana, you know, they made um, blacks and um, uh, Mexicans basically the the scapegoats. Of it, so the, it, absolutely, there is a racist element. Like, I, I don't think the solution is in this uh, this this anti racism stuff. You know, obviously, I Me think racism either. is bad, but by like flipping it around to like penalizing white people for it, I think is freaking ridiculous. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna apologize if our alarms going off. My dogs are howling downstairs, so hopefully that's. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't sound too, too bad. But um, yeah, like I said, I think a lot of right-wingers, and I come from the right, as you seem to as well, um, mm-hmm. you know, they typically just kind of dust this off and say, oh, well, you know, that's just wokest propaganda. And not that we should, you know, completely discard that and agree with that. But, you know, I feel like there's a little bit more nuance that a lot of people don't necessarily give credence to. And I feel like mm-hmm. that could perhaps to be our own be to our own detriment rather than our own success because there's probably a lot of people that we could reach if we kind of meet them where they are rather than just saying listen you're full of shit (laughs) the woke stuff is bullshit anti-racism you know you know approaching people with a little bit more nuance rather than just beating them over the head you know ben shapiro style you know, speaking at 10 times lightning speed at a college student telling them how they're wrong because, you know, get woke, go broke. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you. And I mean, people want to, I mean, they want to cite st- statistics, you know, showing that, you know, based on, you know, population density, that it's actually, you know, the same amount of, you know, white males and black males that are incarcerated. And, and getting getting in a show like that, I think really misses, misses the point. Um I mean, a lot of it just comes down to, you know, the, the way the way our, our population is spread out. I mean, in, in our urban areas, we have more police, we have more people. And I mean, that's where a lot of your um, that's where your minority population is, is in urban areas where there is a larger police presence. And the way you're going to police in a in a city is a lot different than the way you're going to police out in the country. It's just totally different. So it's, it, I don't know, a lot of this stuff, you can't even, you can't even like gleam a, a ton from it, but I think it's, it's really dumb as libertarians to focus our message. Like I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, like mm-hmm. our, our message should not be that our primary message should not be that, you know, the 
primary problem with the criminal justice system is racism because it's not. I mean, the primary problem with the criminal justice system is we have too many freaking laws. I mean, that that is the primary problem. I I think that's a good way to put it. And I posted a status today because I was thinking about this a lot over the last couple of weeks. Gun laws, minimum wage laws, vaccine mandates, Mm -hmm. um, possession laws all make criminals out of peaceful people. And especially with everything we've got going on with vaccine mandates, we have to look at this in light of, you know, how this is going to be applied and what the consequences are. And some libertarians are interpreting this in a vacuum, which I think is to a complete and total detriment because you're going to shut so many people off. Mm-hmm. The government is now requiring business owners require their employees to be vaccinated or tested and masked. Um you are making criminals of peaceful people. These people did not do anything wrong, but now they must pay a fine. They have, you know, an obligation to punish their own employees by fiat of the state, you know, on an arbitrary declaration, which, you know, once again, now what happens if you don't want to pay the fine? Are, are the police going to come in and arrest you because you chose not to pay the fine over a vaccine mandate? Um I think that's something that not a lot of libertarians are hitting on. And it really is, you know, a failure of our movement if we're not going to kind of pounce on this opportunity to spread the message of libertarianism. Yeah, I don't I don't know how this is going to play out with this uh, <laughs> fine for uh, for the vaccine mandate for mm-hmm. and, and they bury it in there, too, that now if you're not vaccinated, you I guess starting with December 3rd, I think, which is coming up pretty quick. Um, you have to wear a mask in the office the entire time, which yeah. I, I work in an office setting and my company has had like these, they've, been, they've had fluctuating rules with masks, but they've never required employees to wear masks like sitting at our desks. So it's, it's going to be really weird to watch how this plays out. Um, companies don't want to deal with this shit. They don't want to be, no. you know, t- telling their employees, you know, exactly you know where, where they can and where they have to wear a mask and um some, i mean some companies do and they already have so don't work for those companies but the the ones that uh are just trying to manage this in a normal way like yeah they don't want the federal government telling them telling them to come in uh tell them what they can and can't do uh coming back to your policing thing i wanted to find this this article which i never mm-hmm. write articles but i wrote this during last summer during the George Floyd riots and everything that was happening. Okay, I'm glad I'm glad you about, went there because I have something to tag on there. But go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no problem. Uh, people were talking about decriminalizing the, the, the police, and uh, like nobody was like hitting on like the root of the problem. And I published this article, and then ironically, Justin Amash, like a day later, comes out and says the exact same thing as me. So I'm not going to say I told him what to say, but I think he was reading what I was writing. So I, it was called Seven Essential Criminal Justice and Policing Reforms. Um, I'm not going to go into detail on them because I think your listeners will understand what each of them means. Demilitarize the police, decriminalize all drugs, end occupational licensing. And we'll say on this, the reason for ending the occupational licensing is because that that is just another another barrier. You're creating you're creating more criminals. You know, if somebody wants to kind of like with with the uh, vaccine mandates, if somebody wants to open a, a beauty shop out of their home. Um, they should have to without worrying about, you know, getting fined or getting right. arrested for, uh, you know, providing a service, uh, consensual service to to their friends and neighbors in their community. Um, four, ban no-knock raids. Five, end qualified immunity. Six, stop using taxpayer funds to pay 
for victims of police brutality and seven and civil asset forfeiture. So, and it was like a day, a day after I posted this, Justin Amash basically said the exact same thing. Were you hanging out with him guys like drinking beer or something? No, 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 I don't, I don't know. I do know, uh, <laughs> Justin's friend up in Michigan, uh-huh. Eric Larson, he's a friend of the Lions of Liberty. So may, maybe Eric passed it on to, I don't know. <laughs> You may like check out this article, but I, I I remember sharing that status, and that was a uh, very very good point on his part. But uh, you know, hearing this now kind of shows how far I've even come on my thinking because I kind of came from the neocon side as well. I always called myself a libertarian, but I was pro war up until about two years ago, discovering all the great libertarian foreign policy guys, specifically Scott Horton. Um, that initially I was like, oh, well, you know, George Floyd was on drugs and he was resisting arrest. So uh, they deserved to die. No, but, you know, it was in their training that they could have their knee on their neck. That was put in 2012. So you, and I was making excuses even back then. But now I look at it, I'm like, why are police even doing this? You know, mm-hmm. why is there even, why are you allowed to do that to somebody? Why are there laws for people who are just consuming drugs? The dude gave a counterfeit $20 bill and I was going to die. And, you know, the, the autopsy came out and he was relatively unhealthy, but that's still no excuse to put your knee on the dude's neck and fucking kill him. Like, Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. Well, it also goes into, I mean, it's even more rooted in the war on drugs because- he was, he pretty much, from what I understand, he pretty much intentionally overdosed himself to a certain mm-hmm. degree because he didn't want, he knew that if he didn't get put in the back of the police car, they'll take him to the hospital. So he was trying to avoid at all costs going into the police car, which so that was another contributing factor to him dying. Yeah. Um, so basically the whole thing is caused by, caused by the war on drugs. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember um, reading articles saying that you could see the vehicle moving around, and that was probably because, once again, he didn't want to get caught with the drugs and had the drugs in his system. Mm-hmm. And it was strictly because, you know, he had been caught with that before. Um, and, it, you know, we were kind of touching on how far some people have come on the war on drugs. And I agree that a lot of people kind of are for legalizing marijuana, but I still think there's quite a large bit of the population that pretty much anything beyond that is like, you know, sacrilege. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, libertarians will come out with their legalized Mm -hmm. cocaine shirts. I don't know if that's the best way to uh, to get people to sympathize with the idea. I'm glad you said that because – I think sometimes people interpret their shit posting and saying the most edgy shit they could possibly think of mm-hmm. is good messaging, which maybe for a certain audience, but um, I've kind of talked about it, or talked on this podcast with a couple other libertarians where they start going into these binary extremes, essentially, where they say, oh, all police are bad people because they enforce bad laws, which, okay, if you want to boil it down, okay, yeah, I, I guess we agree. But the problem is you're lacking the nuance that people are indoctrinated from the time they're young till the time they're old. And this could even go for the uh, war on drugs. Mm -hmm. You're indoctrinated essentially from the time you're young to the time you're an adult and told that, Oh, only bad people do drugs. This is bad for you. Police are here to serve and protect 
people are told this from the time they're young, so they're starting off with bad information. And we as libertarians, I think it's more of our responsibility to kind of pull, pull the wool off people's eyes and make them see what the truth actually is. So when you come in and say legalize cocaine, all police are bad mm-hmm. people, people's first reaction is, well, fuck this guy. I ain't listening to him. He's ridiculous rather than just saying, well – you know, have a more civilized conversation, meet them where they're at, and then push them a little bit further. Yeah. Also, and I've kind of evolved my thinking on this, like, mm-hmm. obviously I think there's too many laws. I think police are enforcing, you know, laws that, that should not be enforced, but at the same time, especially now with these vaccine mandates, lockdowns, everything that's happening um, in our own communities as libertarians, as people who, who think differently, um, don't just be a dick to your local police to be a dick because they might be <laughs> yeah. the ones, I mean, you got to look out for, you got to look out for yourself and your family. Mm-hmm. They might be the ones coming around enforcing um, th- these mandates at some point. And if you have a personal relationship with a police officer, if they know who you are, then you're going to be a lot better off. And that's, that's just a part of survival. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of libertarians that goes over their head. Um, it's not to say police should be excused for their behavior. Right. Um, bad thing, they, bad things that they've done, but we, I mean, libertarians got to start thinking about how to navigate the world we live in right now. We, mm-hmm. uh, and it, you know, people talk about living in uh, in Kapistan in your head. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's okay to a certain degree. I mean, you can want that idealistically. That's where you want to be, um, mm-hmm. but you're not there now. And the way things are moving, unfortunately, um, the best the best way to one of the best ways to protect yourself is through personal relationships in your community with people who hold you know some sort of power some sort of influence and if they know who you are if they know you're a nice guy they're going to look on you a lot better they're going to give you the benefit of doubt more so than if you're a guy who's harassing them calling them names things of that nature all right i'm going to cut that interview right there if you want to hear the rest of it which uh, there's some more good stuff we get into Go listen to it. Uh, subscribe to Kyle's podcast, In Liberty and Health, and uh, check it out today. Hope you guys enjoyed another great interview, another great conversation here on Finding Freedom. Today's episode brought to you by uh, the good people, Nate and Charlie at Good Morning Liberty, and their five-day-per-week show where they dive into current events and uh, give you a, uh, a sane take, a nice filter on the on the news and political landscape uh, to help you to navigate uh, these turbulent times. Of course, you can subscribe to Good Morning Liberty wherever you get your podcasts. So do that today. And also brought to you by Tyler Colford, also known as Crypto Man. Uh, Tyler is a rapper. And uh, of course, you've probably heard his songs here on this show. Tyler's been a longtime supporter of us here at Lions of Liberty, and I want to uh, encourage you all to go and find his work on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, under Crypto Man, YouTube as well. Check him out, listen to his music, share his music, and thank you, Tyler, for the support. Guys, if you like what you're hearing here at Lions of Liberty, if you like these shows and uh, you don't want to miss them. I mean, like, I know, like, when I get into a podcast, there's only, there's a few podcasts that I, I don't miss an episode, but there's a lot more podcasts where I subscribe and I listen to most episodes. So with Lines of Liberty, like a lot of podcasts, but especially Lines of Liberty, because of the nature of our shows, our variety show format, and we're always bringing on different guests, uh, different interesting characters, 
you want to subscribe because you don't want to miss a show. You might miss an episode with someone that you really wanted to hear, and because you're not checking the feed, it's not coming to your phone, um, you're going to miss it when it's dropped. You're going to miss out being in on that initial conversation, uh, maybe happening in the Lions of Liberty Forum, which you can find on Facebook, or maybe happening in our uh, Lions Pride, our private Facebook group, or maybe over on um, Locals, which you can join, uh, become a patron there, uh, lionsofliberty.locals.com. Or if you're a, a patron fan, uh, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash lionsofliberty and join up there. You know, we have a bunch of different levels you can join at, get access to the show, you can sponsor shows. You can even produce shows at a certain level. Of course, all the merchandise, all that stuff, you get that at certain levels too. Or if you just want to buy our t-shirts, we got some great designs. Check them out, lionsofliberty.store. Guys, it's been a great show. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I will see you all next week. In the meantime, remember to keep your head up and the fire is liberty burning. <laughs>